This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you are having a good day today. Stay cool today. My gosh, it's supposed to be like 100 degrees today. A bunch of hot days coming up. Good day to maybe hit the splash pad, maybe grab a cold one, something like that. Stay cool. Um, Always listen to your favorite podcast, Daily Delivery, wherever you go. But certainly get out of the heat because, man, it is going to be a hot one um, I didn't mean to start singing that song just now, by the way. Um, a lot to talk about on this show today. Uh, I'm going to get into some Twins stuff here in a little bit. They won again, 3-2 to two in Seattle. Byron Buxton homered again. Um, a big reason they won that game, in addition to some good pitching as well. Phil Miller covers the Twins for the Star Tribune, was in fact in Seattle, talked to me yesterday just about the state of the team coming off that good stretch against the AL East, some other interesting uh, nuggets about when some of these pitchers who have been injured might be coming back. Um, something I hadn't thought about, too, um, about uh, that how big that series in Toronto was from a couple different perspectives. So Good visit, good check-in with Phil Miller. Always always has great insights on the Twins, so that will be coming up here in just a few minutes. And uh, some news from the basketball world. Former Timberwolves coach Ryan Saunders sounds like he will be joining um, Michael Malone's staff in Denver as an assistant coach. That, according to a report, from the athletics so talk about that here in a little bit as well but first what did I miss going to keep it in the NBA speaking of Ryan Saunders one of his favorite players when he was an assistant coach and head coach of the Timberwolves was Andrew Wiggins we talked I think last week about you know, I think there's a passage in an ESPN story, I think Zach Lowe's story on kind of the the making of that trade that sent Andrew Wiggins to Golden State. And there's a there's a time when um, Wiggins was being really inconsistent. This was inconsistent. This was right before he got traded, and Saunders just screamed at him at halftime so much that he basically pulled a muscle in his chest, and the uh, team doctors thought he might be having some sort of uh, you know cardiac situation. Um, turned out it wasn't as serious as that, but you know, it hurt. It hurt Ryan Saunders to yell at Andrew Wiggins, but the consistency, the effort, just wasn't there night in and night out. And this year for Golden State, I think there's been more consistency, but some of that. Um, but now arriving on the biggest stage, and if there's been a, a critique, a fair one of Andrew Wiggins, aside from the inconsistency, it has been. The idea that maybe he shrinks from the biggest moments. Well, the moments don't get a lot bigger than Game 5 of the NBA Finals with the series tied 2-2 game back in Golden State, uh, back in the Bay Area. Um, Steph Curry, ice cold in the game, finishes 0-9 from three-point range team goes 9 of 40 from three-point range, Um, more like the Brick brothers. But Wiggins, who was 0 for 6 from three-point range, did just about everything else right. He was the best player on the floor in that game, certainly for Golden State, maybe the entire 
arena, although Tatum was awfully good in this game as well for Boston, just didn't get enough help from his supporting cast. Um, Wiggins scores 26 points, adds 13 rebounds, second straight big rebound game, had a couple of assists, couple of steals, a block shot, a kind of clinching dunk in the you know final two minutes or so, finishes 12 of 23 overall from the field, which means he was 12 of 17 from two-point range. Attack Wiggins was in full effect in that game, made two of his three free throws, a weird game for Golden State. They end up winning 104-94, even though Steph Curry goes 0 for 9 from three-point range. Nobody except Klay Thompson really had it going from three-point range. I guess Jordan Poole was three for six, but nine for 40 as a team. But Andrew Wiggins, good for him. I mean, again, like I said, if there has been a fair criticism of him, aside from the ability to kind of, you know, coast and not always use his athletic talent, um, it, it is the notion that he shrinks from these moments. He did not shrink from this moment in any way. And as a result, Golden State is now one game away from winning another NBA title. And this one has to be the most improbable um, journey. I just, you know, it's look at this team. And again, if you get Wiggins playing like this, it's it's a different thing. But this team just isn't nearly as good as some of the past Golden State teams. Not in my book. I mean, I, I know they've still got the, the key guys, but they're all a little bit older. They're not as consistent as they used to be. Um, but they're still they're still getting it done. They're still one game away from winning another NBA title. And Andrew Wiggins has let's let's face it, he has been a big part of this. Wolves fans are never going to regret the Wiggins trade the same way they regret the Steph Curry draft nonsense from 13 years ago. But when he has moments like this, it does make you think, ah man, I wish they could have unlocked this a little bit more here as opposed to watching it on the biggest stage with now Golden State. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I am joined now on Daily Delivery by Phil Miller, out on the trip in Seattle and uh, Twins Competition gets, you know, that we felt we talked a lot about how that nine game stretch against, you know, Toronto, the Yankees and the Rays would, you know, tell us a lot about this team. And I don't think I think some of us probably expected to learn some negative things, but that actually ended up turning into a very positive stretch for them going five and four. Um, really hitting some good pitching, especially against the Yankees. Um, maybe not as much to show for it against the Yankees because New York did rally in that third game, but you know, doing it without a lot of the pitchers they'd started the year with, you know, guys like Sonny Gray, Joe Ryan, uh, Bailey Ober. We can get into some health of those guys here in a little bit, but I just want to get your impressions of kind of what what you saw, what how and how they should feel about that that stretch that they're just coming off of. I think they should feel um, a little fortunate. I think they uh, winning two out of three in Toronto uh, helped a lot because I know that they were worried about would there be any uh, ill feelings in the clubhouse uh, towards the guys that uh, weren't vaccinated and didn't come along. Um, that 
really never became an issue. And uh, winning two out of three there meant that uh, that it uh, you know it didn't really make a whole lot of uh, difference right now. So I think that uh, uh, put him in a good frame of mind. The Yankee series doesn't seem like they. Uh, uh, I, I can't get over the mood in the clubhouse after the Yankee series ended and how uh, what good feelings there were about a series where they lost two out of three. But they they hit the Yankees pitching staff and particularly the starters uh, so well that, uh, you know, Rocco said on the last day is this bodes really well for the rest of the season. And, and it, it certainly did for the weekend against Tampa Bay. And uh, yeah, but five and four against three, uh, three teams that are likely going to be in the playoffs. That is a, that's a, a really good sign. And they will slowly start adding um, valuable uh, players, uh, pieces back to the uh, puzzle now uh, on this road trip. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do we have, you know, they've, they've had so much mix and match with this roster this year, missing, you know, Buxton for chunks of the season, Correa, you know, Kirilov has been, you know, back now, but he's still in St. Paul, a guy they were counting on. I mean, we forget about, almost forget about Miguel Sano, but a guy they were counting on this year who's, you know, been out for a while now and not coming back anytime soon. And that's obviously the pitching that I mentioned at the jump with Ober, Gray, Ryan, all of them out at, at various points. Those three in particular, do we have definite timetables or guesses as to how soon uh, those those three in particular might come back and, and be able to help this rotation? Gray and Ryan, I expect to see uh, in Seattle uh, in this series. So uh, I, I think... Um, you know, they won't confirm uh, the final word on those things until pretty much the national anthem uh, <laughs> in the game they're going to pitch. But I do think that uh, um, they are both uh, ready and uh, eager to get back. So that's uh, that's really good news. Bailey over, uh, you know, I think the fact that it re-injured the same injury means you know, a, a super cautious organization is going to be double secret, super cautious with uh, Bailey over. Uh, I would, I would expect it. He's uh, a few weeks off. Uh, um, it doesn't sound like it was a terribly serious injury, but um, you know, they're not going to let it become one either. So um, I don't think he is anytime soon, but um, the fact that they, uh, sent Cole Sands out, I think is a pretty strong in- indication that they're sure one and probably both of those pitchers will be back this week. Devin Smeltzer has been awfully good in his six starts. I'll get to him in, in conjunction with some other guys I wrote about Monday, just guys who maybe have yeah, flown a little bit under the radar, or maybe haven't gotten, you know, are not these superstars or not, you know, having all-star caliber seasons like a Buxton or Arias or Correa um, or any of those pitchers we've talked about that have been hurt, but Smeltzer has been very, uh, very good. You got to imagine he has made a pretty big case to stay in the rotation. Once everybody is healthy, or at least I would imagine he is, he gives them a lefty option there as well. Um, If, and when everybody is healthy, how do you imagine things uh, might shake out differently from the way they started the year? Cause uh, Mike, that's a long winder to say Dylan Bundy ain't been very good lately. <laughs> yeah, I know uh, people like to uh, jump ahead to the uh, let's not see any more of, uh, of him. I, I do think that they will uh, f- probably have to figure something out with him. Uh, 
pretty soon. But I, you know, I don't know that they are. I don't know that they're ready to uh, cut bait like a lot of uh, fans would like them to. For one thing, uh, you know, we're just a twisted ankle away from uh, being short on uh, pitching again. So uh, I, I would be surprised if um, if they do anything that drastic. Uh, I would. Uh, you know, Sands was the obvious uh, guy. To me, the interesting uh, one is uh, is uh, Josh Winder. Yes, when he comes back, is is key in the rotation. Uh, I I think they might give him a pretty long uh, rehab uh, assignment. Maybe uh, make two or three starts while they uh, decide what they're doing with him. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't be too uh, hasty on showing uh, Dylan Bundy the door uh, yet. I mean, they, they brought him here with some idea that they could fix him and it hasn't gone as well as they thought, but uh, you know, you just have to look across the clubhouse at uh, Chris Archer and see that uh, they, I think they feel pretty good about their ability to kind of nurse along uh, pitchers uh, for three or four innings at a time. Pose this question to our colleague Patrick Royce on Monday's show, but you know Rocco Baldelli, any manager is going to get a certain amount of um, you know second guessing uh, heat, even if you want to put it that way. And a lot of that started, I think, in 2021 when things did not uh, go their way at all. Um, but you know maybe even before that, with some I don't know if it's bullpen use, whether it's resting guys, whatever it is, there's a certain segment of Twins fandom that does not like Rocco. My question to you is how much credit should we give Rocco and even, you know, just the the decision makers above him, perhaps even and his his staff for guiding this team into first place? I mean, I don't think the expectations were necessarily that going into the season. And if you would have told me how many of their players would have been missing this much time, so many of their key players, I would have thought, Man, first place in the AL Central in mid-June is a, is an awfully uh, ambitious thing, and they are pulling it off right now. So why is Patrick so angry? Patrick's not so much angry. He, he, he gave Rocco an above-average grade overall, so he's more of an asset than a liability. Maybe that doesn't show up on Twitter or in the Doc Rocco, uh, Doc Rock uh, commentaries, but... Uh, I just I'm, from from your from where you sit from where you work what what does Rocco do particularly well and how much credit should he get for their success? Well, as as anyone who's around the team will tell you, the one thing that uh, that is very much due to Rocco is the relaxed atmosphere, is the uh, is the understanding that we do this every day and that there's a game yesterday and one today and one tomorrow and. Uh, and he is uh, uh, he is far less of a um, disciplinarian, I guess I would say. He is uh, much more of a uh, do things by consensus, um, and I think it has had uh, a real uh, positive effect on the team that uh, that. Uh, Guys don't feel like there's somebody looking over their shoulder. Not that Molitor and uh, Gardy uh, were like that a whole lot, but um, you know, I think that it has created. Uh, there's a lot. There's an atmosphere of trust in the uh, clubhouse that if I'm uh, if I'm late to uh, something, I'm not going to hear about it uh, necessarily. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uh, the 
Um, one thing you see with uh, Rocco after every game is he holds a meeting with uh, his coaches and some of the front office people, whoever's, uh, uh, if they're on the trip or uh, sometimes it's a whole room full of people um, doing a quick discussion, a quick breakdown of what uh, happened in that game and mostly looking forward. You know, the, the lineups are often uh, written uh, two, three days ahead. Um, and he's very much about communicating uh, that to the players. Uh, you know, most guys, when they leave the clubhouse, know if they're playing the next day. Hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know if this is answering your question, but the atmosphere around the team is, is so much of a player's um, uh, atmosphere. And I think they really enjoy that. Uh, and I, I think that it takes a lot of the pressure off of the long season. Um, strategy stuff, transaction stuff. Um, you know, I've had more than one coach say, I've never felt so involved in decision-making uh, as I do on this staff. And uh, um, I think that probably shows uh, uh, Rock was very comfortable with uh, opening up decision-making to a lot of people which maybe isn't typical of a manager. Maybe it isn't even what you want in a manager, but it's certainly what this front office wants in a manager. It does strike me as a style that works well when things are going well and maybe doesn't work as well when a team needs a little bit more accountability or things aren't going well, which, you know, frankly, maybe has shown up in the first three and a half seasons that he's been in charge. The two division titles, things largely went well last year things largely didn't go well and they couldn't really find a way to get out of that tailspin. And then this year, you know, even though they started four and eight, they've generally been pretty good. So, you know, you've got that, uh, you got that kind of push pull dynamic. Yeah. I'll say this, uh, you know, an old school guy like uh, Josh Donaldson, uh, I don't think he appreciated um, uh, Rocco's style. I, I think he, um, I shouldn't uh, go too far with this because I've only uh, kind of talked around the subject with uh, the principals and people around them. But, um, but let's just say I could infer that uh, Donaldson felt like, you know, he came here to win and he doesn't have that many chances to win. And uh, I think he wanted more accountability um, than, uh, than Rocco believes in. Um, you know, he's, uh, he can be pretty high strung. And so I think that's an example of, uh, if it doesn't always work, it doesn't work with every player. And, uh, you know, you, I think that front office probably has to be aware of that. If, if they weren't before, probably Josh Donaldson made them aware of it. I would imagine that is true. Let's talk a little bit about the guys I wrote about Monday. I, I mentioned Smeltzer. I think Smeltzer, Griffin, Jacks, um, Emilio Pagan, um, Trevor Larnick, and I'm trying to remember the last one that made it onto my list. But you know, guys who have been maybe not all-star caliber, but have been instrumental to their success. You mentioned Gilbert Celestino to me as one who probably could have been on my list. It does seem like it is a team that uh, has had a certain amount of depth this season um, and has needed it, and has gotten contributions from guys you maybe wouldn't have expected, even some of the guys that you hadn't really heard of out of the bullpen who have only pitched eight, nine, 10 innings have ERAs like under two, like they've gotten contributions from a lot of different guys. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things that they've tried have worked. Uh, the fact that the pitching staff didn't fall apart in the last month 
is uh, a real uh, credit to that depth. And to guys like Smeltzer, um, you know, guys like Griffin Jacks, the bullpen has been going through it too. It's not just injuries, but they've, they've it's kind of been a, a patchwork uh, system. And uh, the bullpen, um, you know, you can you remember the games that they have blown, and there have been a few of those, but uh, um, there's been a lot of games that the bullpen uh, has really come through, uh, you know, particularly with the short starts that seem to be inflicted on a regular basis. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree. This is a, the, the pitching staff kind of fell apart in the middle of last year's season. Well, actually, I mean, the bullpen fell apart in game one, uh, but um We've we've seen how uh, if guys don't step up, if uh, how things uh, can go not only go badly but stay badly. So um, you know another way that to look at the uh, all the contributions they have is we were talking about this in the press box the other day. Who is going to make the All Star team uh, from the Twins? It's uh, it's not a deep uh, list of guys that you would say. Oh, send him to Los Angeles. I think it is. Uh, you know, they've got all these stars. You know, honestly, Carlos Correa has not played uh, as well as he has in the past in his All Star years. Um, Byron Buxton uh, is probably a, a no brainer, although uh, his week and a half long slump. Uh, you know, it's hard to say that a guy's an all-star when he was hitting below 200, but he's nice, nice to be able to go 0 for 30 and still have the year he's having. Isn't it? Uh, yeah, it was, uh, we were saying if, if he didn't pull out of it, uh, would, would they put a, a, a player on the all-star team who was not hitting 200? Um, but I think he's uh, pretty likely and Louis Arise leads the uh, league in hitting beyond that. You know, there are guys that, can make a case for, but, uh, you know, I don't know that, uh, that they're not, I, I would not be at all surprised if, uh, they only have two all-stars kind of wouldn't, uh, surprise me if they only have one either. I was still, uh, we're still a month away, um, uh, from that. So, uh, in, in both of those ways, I think, uh, it's kind of surprising how much depth has, uh, has stepped forward, how they've turned, Griffin Jacks into uh, from a uh, guy that they really didn't want to start last year to a guy that they're saving for when they have leads uh, this year in the bullpen. Uh, you know, uh, while Tyler Duffy goes through his problems, what would they be doing without Griffin Jacks? So, um, yeah, all of those guys you mentioned are are good examples of if you had been if you had knew that they were going to uh, perform like this in spring training, you've they'd have uh, gotten a lot more respect, I think. Yeah, Jax, he had about 23 home runs and 82 innings last year, mostly as a starter. And the thing you notice is, you know, when he's cut loose in the bullpen now, he throws two to three miles an hour harder. You don't have mm-hmm. to save anything. And, you know, that, that works for a lot of relievers. And they're, I believe they're going into Monday, they're 16 and three in games in which he's pitched. And some of that's the circumstances you're brought into. And some of that is when he's come in, he's largely held leads and sometimes for two as mature as many as three innings, which is a pretty valuable asset to have. And they have taxed that bullpen. I know they've played, maybe played a lot of games relative to some teams. They've played like six more games than Cleveland, but in terms of bullpen, they've asked their bullpen to throw the third most innings in the majors this year. So they are asking a lot of these guys and they've, you know, 
performed, I think, at least adequately. I think the bullpen area is right in the middle of the pack, a little bit before, a little bit below four. I think you'll take that based on who's down there right now. Yeah, and you know they get digged a lot for not having a uh, a proven closer or uh, or committing to you know the fans want them to commit to Yon uh, Duran, uh, which you know might or might not uh, happen as the season goes on. I know they're being real real careful with him as well. Um, so, and when you don't have uh, an you know an automatic guy, a Joe Nathan, somebody like that that um, that you can reliably turn to or Taylor Rogers, I guess. Uh, <laughs> the guy they traded right before the season. Yeah. Uh, to uh, point out one, uh, it, it makes the bullpen, uh, it makes the bullpen seem a lot less deep than it actually is. And uh, they're, uh, they're kind of plodding along uh, pretty well, having found uh, Jack's having, you know, they're going through the annual uh, bring a guy in, take a look and uh, send them out uh, now. And uh, yeah, they're, um, they're in first place. Something's working. Last thought for you. I can't help but sometimes think about how the dominoes fell in the offseason and just kind of the sequence of moves where, you know, they trade Garver to Texas for kind of Falefa. And then 24 hours later, you package him as part of the Donaldson trade with uh, Rourke that I'm, I'm, if I'm remembering right too for Urshela and, um, uh, Urshela and, uh, um, and Sanchez, and then that frees up the money to go get Carlos Correa. If, if you, you know, and all that's, you know, semi somewhat related, a lot of it's very related, but trying to imagine what the team would look like with Mitch Garver, Josh Donaldson, and Isaiah kinder Falefa. And I'm kind of thinking it wouldn't be as good as this team is right now. And that's uh, kind of feels like that broke right for them. Yeah, it did. Uh, what's interesting about all of that is how temporary it all might be. Uh, that's for a topic for another show, I suppose, uh, later in the year. But Gary Sanchez uh, can be a free agent. Uh, Carlos Correa is almost certainly to be a free agent. So this was a, a really big bridge to uh, the next wave of uh, guys. Uh, uh, you know, poor, uh, poor Royce Lewis. Yeah. But, uh, um, you know, we'll see uh, how they how they uh, retool for next year, or or don't retool and retain those guys. But uh, you're right; uh, um, they made those they made all of those moves uh, in basically one week. Uh, I mean, the the two trade they made three trades in the first two days uh, after the lockout ended, uh, or the first weekend of camp, I guess. And uh, it is amazing uh, how sometimes remaking a team seems like a glacier pace. Uh, you know, you, it, it takes so long and they completely shuffled the deck on this team, uh, in, in basically a week, you know, and then even adding, uh, Chris Archer, uh, later on and, uh, and, uh, the trade right at, before opening day. I, and, and maybe that one hasn't worked out as well. Uh, Taylor Rogers is making him pay for that, but you know, he's another one that, they might not have uh, kept next year. So uh, um, that might look better down the road. I, I, uh, I the front office uh, has taken a lot of grief over the years for, uh, for things that didn't work out, notably uh, free agent signings. They're, they tend to be uh, bargain hunters and uh, a lot of those haven't worked out, but uh, I, I am, I'm just amazed at what a different team this is from the day the lockout ended. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, I think that's harder than it looks. And the big difference is that this time of year, we're talking about twins being competitive. Whereas last year, that really was not the case. This was kind of off the rails pretty quick and never got back on. So no matter what does happen, I feel like we'll be talking about meaningful baseball pretty deep into this season. And we'll Mm -hmm. be talking about it with Phil Miller. It's a shame, you know, that uh, one other thing I just wanted to add, it's a shame that nobody in the division is challenging now. I mean, it's great that they're in first place, but uh you know, they're, uh, they have so many games left with what they thought were going to be their main challengers. Uh, you know, maybe it'll happen, uh, but it, it's, it's too bad. We're not going to get a great pennant race, uh, out of it. Uh, even, even if it gets tighter, I, those teams uh, seem so flawed that, uh, uh, yeah, I wish it was, uh, I wish it was going to be a more exciting summer down the stretch, I guess. Maybe it will be. We'll see. A lot of season left, almost 100 games left, so we'll see how it all plays out. Read Phil's coverage from Seattle and everywhere else. Baseball takes him. Phil, good stuff. We'll talk to you again soon, okay? Okay, Mike. Good talking to you. That was good catching up with Phil Miller. A lot of good insights there, as always. Uh, Phil does a great job covering the team, along with Megan Ryan, for the Star Tribune, so go read their coverage, please. Star Tribune, startribune.com. Uh, Phil and I recorded that before the Twins played Seattle late Monday. Always a little bit of a risk to talk baseball and then had another game played. And then we um, then we have the show. But things that we had talked about, by and large, continued in that game against Seattle. Like I said at the jump, they won 3-2. to two. Good starting pitching again. Chris Archer kind of... Did Chris Archer things, only went four innings, but that was enough. You know, four innings, four hits, an unearned run, 67 pitches. I mean, you know what? In modern baseball, it's weird to think that four innings from a starter is acceptable, and but that's kind of been his norm. And if they're four good innings, and by and large from him, they have been this year. His ERA is down to 3.35, um, then, then you will take it and... You know, guys that I've talked about recently, Griffin Jacks had a scoreless inning um, in that game. ERA down to 2.67. Joan Duran, a good inning. Emilio Pagan, another good inning, got the save. He has nine saves now. And Byron Buxton, um, two for five with a home run, knocked in two runs. Luis Arise had a couple of hits. Um, They just kind of kept it going. They're just kind of keeping this whole... Keeping this whole good play uh, going, they're thirty-six and twenty-seven now. Um, you know, a decent road record, sixteen and thirteen, and you know that now they're playing the Mariners. Um, they, they've got you know the schedule easing up here considerably. They're three and a half up on Cleveland, although all seven games, uh, all seven of those things in the loss column, which is still weird to me. But you know, they they just keep kind of getting it done, keep getting it done in different ways. And that's a sign of a good team. So good for them and a good visit with Phil Miller about a lot of those things. Let's finish with the cooler. Like I mentioned at the jump, Ryan Saunders, former Timberwolves coach. Sounds like he is joining the staff in Denver. Kind of an interesting swap, as it turns out. Tim Connolly comes to the Timberwolves as their new president of basketball operations from Denver. And now Ryan Saunders you know, who wasn't, he hasn't been here for a couple years since Chris Finch got hired in the middle of the 2020-21 season. So it's been it's probably been about 18 months or so since Ryan Saunders was fired. But 
um, it, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting kind of switch. Uh, probably probably a good spot for him to land, get his career going again. It was on a pretty good trajectory, and then it kind of stalled because he just could not get things going in Minnesota as the head coach. But always a good guy to deal with a good basketball mind so good luck to ryan saunders in denver that'll do it for today should be some more good stuff coming up on wednesday show enjoy the rest of your tuesday